righteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verses 9 and 10 are what's going to be the focus for this evening. I want to first, before we dive into actually what the subject is, I want to first exposit verse 9, 10, and 11 because these passages are used, and I'll give you a specific example. There's a, uh, you know, a false teacher out there by the name of Ray Comfort. The guy's a complete heretic. He tries to creep into Baptist churches and in circles of, of independent Baptists. The guy is as unsaved as all get out. It, it, he is one of the most obvious examples that this guy is preaching a false gospel. He literally has videos where he's having conversations with people that are like telling him that they believe the right gospel. They're like explaining that it's not by works. All I've done is just put my faith in Christ. And he proceeds to try to convince this person that they're not saved. There are, I have probably seen five to six videos where he does this. This is one of his favorite passages. And of course he's a, a repent of your sins guy where he believes that it's you know, repentance and faith. And his definition of repentance is turning from your sin. A change of life. So, of course, he believes and he's trusting in faith plus works. He's trusting in, you know, what he says is his faith in Christ, but truly it comes down to he's trusting in his, his ability to be able to turn from his sin and, you know, stop living whatever lifestyle that he was living in the past. He's not trusting in Christ. This is one of his favorite passages that he'll go to. And I want to exposit this because there's a lot of confusion uh, among, you know, saved believers even. You know, what does this teach? They're just confused about it. So, notice here it says this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So he'll point to this passage and he'll say, See, you have to turn from these sins. If you're committing or living in these sins, you're not going to heaven. That's how he interprets this passage. That is an unsaved man. Somebody who walks away and teaches and preaches that from this passage is an unsaved man. You're actually, the, actually, the interpretation is given in the following verse. Let's see actually what, uh, what, what, what the point is being taught here. Look at verse number 11. It says this, And such were some of you, but ye are washed. I want you to notice it doesn't say that you've repented. You've turned from these sins. But such were some of you, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified by turning from your sin. No, I want you to watch this. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you know how we're saved? By the Spirit of our God. By Jesus Christ. He saved us. He gives us His Spirit and that is our righteousness. You know what it is? It's His righteousness. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness. We are justified in His name by our imputed righteousness. That is how we are saved. And it explains it to you. This is not difficult to understand. Yeah, those people aren't going to inherit it if they haven't received forgiveness. But they, but you, it's not saying, oh, they've all turned from fornication. They've all turned from adultery. No, you know what's different is now you're washed. Right. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the difference. That's, that is those that are saved. Amen. Ray Comfort's not saved. And everyone who goes to this passage and they, they actually believe 
and, and are teaching that you have to turn from these things in order to gain access into heaven. They're trusting in their own ability to be a good person. They're trusting in the works of the law. That person is unsaved. Now that is not what this sermon is about. I wanted to touch on that though just because we're focusing on it. The title of the sermon comes from verse number 9. A very controversial subject. At the very end of, the, of, the, of verse number 9. We'll read it one more time. I'll, we'll just read it. Let's do it that way. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Then it goes on in verse number 10 to explain, you know, a list of other sins that people will commit. There's right there at the very end of verse number 9, there's a, a confusing phrase, right, that a lot of people will have, you know, different opinions about. And it's abusers of themselves with mankind. This is very controversial and that's the title of the sermon this evening abusers of themselves with mankind. I'm going to be preaching and teaching to you the true interpretation of what it means when it says abusers of themselves with mankind. First, I want you to begin in Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. Now, this passage is, is, uh, is discussed so much today and amongst circles and people that we know because of something that is called the reprobate doctrine. There are a lot of people that have went to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and they interpret abusers of themselves with mankind as homosexuals. And that is not what that is referring to and I'm going to be proving that to you and showing that. And if that was, the reason why they do that is because they want you know, homosexuals to be able to be saved. And if that is referring to homosexuals, do you know what that means? That when he goes on to say, ye are washed, ye are justified. Do you know who's also in that group? Homosexuals. So they interpret abusers of themselves with mankind as being, as being a sodomite or as being a homosexual. That is the interpretation that groups of people will try to use with 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Now, that defies a doctrine that is taught in the Bible known as the reprobate doctrine. Now, the reprobate doctrine is a doctrine, and I'm just going to give you a general statement here, and then we're going to go into specifics in Romans 1, and I don't want to spend, I'm not going to be teaching the intricacies of the reprobate doctrine this evening, because that's not the scope of the sermon, and I want to focus on 1 Corinthians 6. But the reprobate doctrine teaches this. That, a, that you know, all, all of mankind, God wants to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. Amen. He gives opportunities. The Bible says that He determined before the bounds of your habitation that if haply you might seek after Him, He might be found. And He's not far from every one of us, right? God gives everyone a perfect opportunity to be saved. I believe that. Every one of us. And if you reach out for Him, God will reach out to you. If you knock, you'll find Him. That's what the Bible teaches. There are people that, that uh, you know, live maybe, let's say, in the United States of America. And they get an opportunity where they are just bombarded with the gospel, right? There are people maybe just, you know, uh, let's even, and we, and we can do this in any way that we want. You know, it doesn't have to be like that. I, I was going to give you an example that's more relevant. You know, even people in Africa. Romans chapter 1 talks about people that look up and they see that there's a creator. They see that there's a creator. They realize that there's a creator. And then what they end up doing is rejecting the creator, you can take that to specifics as well to say, you know, a person that has their door knocked and they receive time after time of the gospel and the opportunity of, to get saved. They preach the gospel. And if you have a person that just continually rejects the gospel and continually rejects the gospel, the Bible teaches that that man or that person 
eventually runs out of opportunities to be saved. And most Christians, most churches do not teach this. Most pastors do not teach this. But it's called the reprobate doctrine. It's very clear. This is taught in numerous scriptures. I believe the strongest passage is 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. The process of a reprobate is taught in Romans chapter number 1 in detail. And it talks about the man receiving the opportunity to be saved. Receiving the opportunity you know, to get the message of the gospel from the Lord, from Jesus. And ultimately what happens is they reject it. They keep rejecting it. And they go down this downward spiral of just rejecting the gospel and rejecting the gospel. Well, what ends up happening is that God rejects them. And there is a result of that. We are clearly taught that there is a, a byproduct or a result of rejecting the Lord. I want you to look with me at Romans chapter number 1. We're going to read through this. And I'm not going to exposit all of it, like I said, because I'm not teaching the reprobate doctrine tonight. Look at verse number... Let's begin with verse number 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. That's, their, that's of course, their rejection of God. Now watch this. Where, verse number 24. Wherefore? So... Uh, in response to that, wherefore God also gave them up. What does it mean to give somebody up? It means to reject them. You're done with them. You've had enough. It's, well, I'm done. That's what that means. Gave them up, watch this, to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Look at verse 26. <clears throat> For this cause, God gave them up unto, we're given more details here, vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and then it goes on and says this, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. So what is being taught there is they are rejected. They, are, they have become what is known as a reprobate. If we look down further, we're going to see that actual term used in verse number 28, that they are given over to a reprobate mind. The word reprobate is used in the book of Jeremiah. It means to be rejected. It means that they have been rejected. They are given up. They, he gave them up. He gave them up, it says a couple of different times. He's rejected them. He's done with them. Why? Because they rejected him. Now, if you would have noticed, the result of that was that he gave them up unto uncleanness, it says. He gave them up unto vile affections. The result of that was the lifestyle of homosexuality. That is the byproduct or that is the result. That is the manifestation that a person has been rejected by God. It's an outward manifestation. Now, in this church, we do not believe that homosexuals can be saved. You know, the, you know, there's a lot of churches out there that believe that they can. This is not one of them. Homosexuals, people that are living in a homosexual lifestyle, people that are, are desiring to have a relationship with a man, this is an outward manifestation, according to Romans chapter number 1, that that person cannot be saved. And why is it? It's because God just, you know, you know, pre-selected that this person would be a reprobate? No. They had an opportunity. They rejected God. And that is an outward manifestation. I can prove to you, because when I look at that person and see that, that they've rejected God at one point in their life. They had an opportunity, and they hardened their own heart. They turned from God, and they rejected Him. And you know what He did? He rejected them. Now, 
you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, like I said, I'm not proving to this crowd tonight that, it's a small crowd tonight, but I'm not proving to this crowd tonight that homosexuals can't be saved. There are many aspects that you could go to if you wanted to go to this. There's not a single example in the entire Bible of a person that's a homosexual that's saved. The whole Bible, not one example. You don't have one example. And, and you say, well, that, that, that doesn't prove anything. Isn't it kind of funny that you can look in the Bible and find every variety and every stripe and type of sin, but you can't find a person that, that's a homosexual that got saved? Isn't that kind of weird a little bit? That there's not one stinking example in the entire Bible? Isn't that strange? Not only is there not an example of a homosexual that gets saved, furthermore, you can't find me an example of even a semi-normal homosexual. Even a guy that's even kind of just, just, he's just, he's just homosexual. He just keeps to himself and he's just a sodomite. There is not a single example of a, just a normal sodomite in the Bible. We're told very little about homosexuality in the Bible as well. It's not mentioned a whole lot. We know that they're prescribed the death penalty in God's law. But there are a couple of stories that are told. Only a couple of stories. This is all that we have. And in both stories, you know what you have? A bunch of predatory wolves that are rapists and molesters. That's what you have. Just disgusting perverts that are trying to rape two men that they don't even know that come into a city. Just the strangers. That's who they go after in Genesis chapter number 19. Then you have Judges 19. They want the man. They can't get the man. They're like, oh, we'll just satisfy it. We're just satisfied with the woman. Then they end up killing her. They rape her all night and kill her and take her back and just toss her body. You don't have examples of this type of behavior in the Bible outside of sodomite. Stop and think about that for a minute. You can't think of anybody else as disgusting that operates like that in the Bible. Think about that for a minute. Not only that, you get to the New Testament and you want to you look at the examples. And of course they cite the, only the couple of examples of homos that are mentioned in the Old Testament. It talks about false prophets. And in the New Testament, false prophets are like the worst possible people, basically, that are, that, are, that are described in the New Testament. They're wolves. And you know one of the things that they are that's mentioned in the book of Jude? They're sodomites. They go after strange flesh. They're likened unto the sodomites. You know what they are? They're predators. They're wolves. They're people that are trying to get advantage over someone, trying to hurt people. That's, their, that's what they do is they creep in to hurt people. Think about that. Sodomites are in the Bible... De you know, depicted as the worst top possible people that exist on this earth. Not only that, think about this as well. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he you know, uh, 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 broke his SOP, his standard operating procedure. Do you know what he normally does? He first sends a preacher. I think it's the only example in the whole Bible. If, if my, you know, maybe there's another one out there. If so, there's very few. I'm pretty sure it's the only example in the entire Bible where he's just like, destroy the whole city. Every single person in the city. Every person. He's just like, they don't have an opportunity. Destroy the entire city. And you know what else is interesting? Is the way in which he destroys the city is with fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone. God destroyed the whole world with water one time, I realized that. But outside of that, he does not use supernatural means to destroy a city. This is rare, my friend. And he used fire and brimstone. That shows up in the book of Revelation. And you know where else is the only other time that's mentioned and the place that's mentioned? Hell. Think about that. Hell. That's the only other place that fire and brimstone occurs. And he chose to destroy this city with fire and brimstone. When we look at all the evidence 
We don't have a single example of a homosexual being saved in the Bible. Not one. Romans chapter number 1 talks about when he rejects them, he gives them up. And what happens? They're given up to a reprobate mind. Unto a reprobate mind. The word reprobate means rejected. They're given up to this mind, to this uncleanness. There's a change that takes place. They're given up to vile affections where they're committing horrible, disgusting, unnatural things. There's a change. This is a they have a different kind of mind. They're doing things that only beasts and animals would do. When you look at homosexuality, that's what that is. And that's why you see animals committing homosexuality. The normal person is repulsed by homosexuality. It's disgusting and weird. Yeah, I better get some amens, right? It's, it's weird. You don't want to be around it. It doesn't matter whether it's your friend at work that's not even a Christian. He'd tell you the same thing. It's disgusting. Stay away from me. What do you always hear the non-Christian guy say? Hey, I don't care what he does. I just want him to stay away from me. It disgusts him. That's what he means. I don't want that guy near me, right? It's not normal. They're different than everybody else. It's not a normal sin. That's important to understand when we go into 1 Corinthians 6. It's not a normal sin. It's the result of being rejected by God. Now, people will, you know, now I'm jumping all over the place, but I want to cut, touch on a couple of things here. People will straw man us, is what they will do. And they will, <clears throat> they will say, well, if you don't believe that homosexuals can be saved, you know, then you don't believe that Jesus died for the sin of homosexuality. That's a complete lie. That's a straw man. I believe that Jesus died for the sin of homosexuality. I believe that Jesus died for every sin that anyone has ever committed. He died for the sins of the whole world. Died for every sin that anyone has ever committed, right? That is a lie. That is, that is just dishonest. And when people create straw mans, when they erect these straw mans, the reason why is because they're afraid to attack your true argument. That's why. I mean, what other reason would somebody do that? I mean, I've, I've repeatedly said this. It's, it's clear. We're talking about two different types of, of, of arguments. Here's the argument that they don't want to attack. Homosexuality is the result of reprobation. That's what they don't want to, to attack. I'm teaching and propagating that homosexuality is the result of being a reprobate. I believe that he died for all the sins, but prove to me that homosexuality is not the result of reprobation. That's the argument that they don't want to touch, that they don't want to come near. So they say, oh, you don't believe that, you don't believe that the blood of Christ is powerful enough to cover you know, the sin of homosexuality. This is all a lie. This is all a straw man. Listen to me. Christ's blood is powerful enough to pay for the sin of the man that takes away from God's word. Is it or is it not? Doesn't everyone believe that? But ask, answer this question. Does God choose that he's going to take that person's sin away? Or are, they, or are they reprobate? What does it tell you in Revelation 22? If a man takes away or adds to the word of God, what? He's going to take away their place out of the book of life. They're never going to be able to take part. Is, is his blood powerful enough to pay for that sin? Of course. Of course it is, right? But will it? No. Is Christ's blood powerful enough to pay for the, the, you know, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? Of course. His blood is powerful enough to pay for all sins. He died for every sin, right? But he chooses not to pay for certain people's sins. He chooses that he rejects these people. It's that they cannot believe. Right. If, they, if they could believe, they could be saved. But it's that they cannot believe. That is, that is the discussion. These are, it's two totally different issues. All their sins are covered and paid for. But you know what will never happen? They'll never believe. All the sins are paid for. They're there. Every sin in the whole world is paid for. But they will not turn and believe. Doesn't that make perfect sense? Isn't it super clear? It's easy to understand. Then why does everybody act like they don't understand it? Because they don't want to deal with the actual argument. That's why. 
That is the reason why. You know, uh, what, is, what is the other, you know, and there's the other example. Mark of the Beast, right? It, could, could Christ's blood you know, atone for the Mark of the Beast? I'm sure that it could. He died for the sin of the whole world. I'm sure that it could. And, and I don't want to hear this stupid stuff. It's the most ridiculous argument in the world. And this is the kind of stupidity that you have to do. That the mark of the beast, taken away from God's word, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, and, you know, um, um, whatever the other, I can't think of it right now. But all of those are all just the exact same thing. That's stupid. You're told what the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is because they said he had an unclean spirit. It's not because they got a, you know, 666 on their hand. These are not the same thing. It's retarded. To, you know, the taking away from God's word or adding thereto is not the same as saying that Jesus has an unclean spirit. They're not, you're, you're clearly, it clearly articulates and tells you that they're very different things. That's, that is a way for people to try to make it like they're, you know, because they, they don't want you to try to attack that they still believe in the reprobate doctrine because they know that they can't get away from it in certain areas of the Bible. So this is their attempt to try to push it all into one thing so that they don't have this big hole in their argument. Right? So you can't tell them, hey, what, can Christ's blood not atone for the, for the you know, uh, uh, taking of the mark of the beast? Can Christ's blood not atone for the Holy Ghost? For blaspheming the Holy Ghost? Does, can Christ's blood not atone? You see how they got a big, major hole in their argument then? Because they believe the same thing. You could say, well, is it, his blood's not powerful enough? Is Christ's blood's not powerful enough? You know, it's, it's a major hole in their argument. It's an extreme, huge inconsistency. So what it is, is these people have been rejected. A homosexual cannot be saved. They cannot be saved. That's what Romans chapter number 1 teaches. They've been given over to a reprobate mind. The barrier is gone. The conscience is gone. The moral compass is gone. They become a beast. They have an unnatural brain, an unnatural mind. They go after disgusting, filthy things. And then, you know, I'm sure everyone's familiar with it, but it tells you in verse 29, they're filled with all unrighteousness. It goes through a list. This is not a normal person, okay? It's not just your everyday average normal person, all right? Just like... If you were able to see the 666 mark on the man's hand that, you know, worshiped the beast and the image, it's an outward manifestation that he can never be saved. Well, when you see someone that is a homosexual and a sodomite, that's an outward manifestation in the same exact way that they've rejected God and they've sealed their faith. Amen. So that's our starting point. We understand that... that you know, homosexuals cannot be saved. We're not going to interpret abusers of themselves with mankind with that because we'd have a vast inconsistency in the Bible. That is our starting point. I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. You don't have a single example. If you put all of that together, it's a ridiculous claim. It's a ridiculous claim to say that homosexuals can be saved. Not only that, you know, another thing that just blows their argument apart is this. Has there been people, I'm sure everyone in here would agree with this, have there been people that have committed the acts of homosexuality? Maybe in drunkenness, maybe, you know, girls trying to be cool at school or whatever it may be when they're in high school, you know, and they're not a homosexual. They were repulsed by it when they woke up and they found out what they did or they, you know, whatever later on. Have there, do you believe that there has been, that there have been people that have committed that and gotten saved? Of course there have. Of course there has. Definitely. You know what that proves? That you believe that Christ died for the sin of homosexuality. You believe that, it, that, you know what that proves? That what you believe that about the reprobate doctrine, it's not that he's not paying for the sin of homosexuality, but that when a person is actually homosexual, that that's just the manifestation. That's the difference in the, in, in, in the arguments here. It's the person that is a actually living in a homosexual life, that is a manifestation that the person 
has been rejected by God. That's what that is. And it's not that oh he can't you know that that homosexuality is just a sin that can never be atoned for. That's not the argument. There are people that have committed it that I'm sure are in heaven today. They just weren't a sodomite. They weren't rejected. It wasn't a result of that. It was, you know, whatever it may be in their life. So, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, people have different interpretations of this. Homosexuality is not what this is teaching. I'm going to show you actually what it is teaching. But we have to start with this. Abusers of themselves with mankind is obscure, isn't it? It's kind of an obscure statement. It's not super clear. But we can't omit things, can't we? We can see, you know, it's not speaking about homosexuals. And, and of course, it's not a, a as I said, it's not an extremely clear and outright statement. And here are some of the uh, different interpretations that people have had. And they're not terrible interpretations, but I don't believe them to be so. And, I'm gonna, and, and all of these interpretations, I've never seen anyone use the Bible to teach them. They just kind of throw them out there and they say, hey, we know it's not homosexuality, which I agree with that. But then they just say, hey, this is a possibility. What's their possibilities? I would agree with that, but I don't believe them to be so. Number one is maybe that this person committed homosexuality once. It's not saying that they are a homosexual, but they're a person that maybe committed it once, right? Just like how we mentioned, maybe in a, you know, a drunken you know, binge or something, maybe at a party or something like that, right? Maybe it's just a person that has just committed that once. And, and the phrase maybe is referring to a homosexual act and that they just committed it one time. Not that they are a sodomite, but they just engaged in this activity once in their life or something. No, not out of their own volition. Uh, number two is this, that maybe the abusers of themselves with mankind is referring to uh, a type of trafficking or prostitution. Maybe a child is put into this when they're a child and, uh, you know, when they're younger. And it's like a trafficking and they're forced to do things in their life. I'm sure that this happens, right? I'm sure that this takes place. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're in, you know, this type of, 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 of trafficking and prostitution and they have their pimp or whatever it is, and he's just making them for money do all of these you know, horrible, disgusting, sensual acts for people, right? Maybe that's what it's talking about. You know, that's a possibility. Are these things possible? Yes, because it's obscure. That's why. It's an obscure statement. You know, I don't believe them to be so, and I'm going to show you why I don't believe them to be so, but these are a couple of things that people have brought up as being, you know, possible uh, uh, possibilities of maybe this is what it's referring to when it says abusers of themselves with mankind. So I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 first. So keep your hand there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. So this is a very strong starting point to prove that this is not referring to, I believe, homosexuality. I believe that this debunks, from my perspective, I believe that this debunks that that particular phrase has anything to do with homosexuality. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, it's verse number 13, the Bible says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And it goes on, But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. So notice there in verse number 13, it makes the statement, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So that's saying that, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying that there is nothing that you are tempted with that the common man is not tempted with. There's nothing that you, you know, that you have a lust after, or that you want or desire, that... Every man is, is, is desiring or, or tempted with. Now, you know, let me ask everyone in here. Does anyone here have any temptations of homosexuality? Not even slightly. Does the average man, and everyone would agree with this, you could be as LGBTQ as you want to be. I don't care what side you fall down. 
The majority would say and admit that, you know, 95, 98, I don't even know what the population of the, the queers are nowadays, but 97 or 98% of the world's population have zero desire for the opposite sex, right? So, very clearly, when he's writing to the Corinthians, the statement is made, there, is, there hath no temptation taken you but such, a, such as is common to man. Is homosexuality a common temptation among men? No, it is not. So would it make sense that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, he's referring to someone among them that, is, that has struggled with homosexuality. But then he makes the statement over here, there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. The guy that, in this case, you know, hypothetically, which this is not the interpretation, that's the homosexual, would be like, well, I know they're not tempted with it, but, you know, I am. So you see how this wouldn't make sense if you tried to apply 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, even internally within the book of Corinthians. This would not make sense if you tried to interpret abusers of themselves with mankind as being someone that was, you know, previously a homosexual. And another thing that's odd about the, you know, uh, um, I'll skip over that because I don't want to, like I said, I'm going to ignore that doctrine because I, I have some passages I want to go through. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 now. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 verse number 9 says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. He goes on, verse, verse 10, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now verses 9 and 10, everything in those lists I want you to notice is what? It's normal sins. Just like it said over in verse 10, uh, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. No temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Notice every single sin there is a normal, normal sin that people struggle with. We have, a lit, we have lists of sin that are listed throughout the New Testament, don't we? You know what you find in every single one of those sin, uh, lists? You don't find homosexuality, but you find normal, natural sins that every single person here struggles with to some degree. And that's important to understand, especially in light of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. So over and over and over again, it omits or eliminates the interpretation of abusers of themselves with mankind being homosexuality. Now, this phrase, abusers of themselves with mankind, actually comes up with a little variation in one other place in the New Testament. I want you to go, and this is very important, to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, and I want you to look with me at verse number 9. It's a very similar type of scenario. He says this, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, and then it says this, for them that defile themselves with mankind. Now, does that sound familiar? It's almost the exact same statement. But the only difference here is that the word defile is substituted for the word abusers. Now, in the Greek, which you don't even need this, you can tell, everyone here I'm sure could tell that that is the exact same phrase. In the Greek, the word defile here is the same word that's used in abusers. It's just translated. It's the same exact word. It's just translated one time as defile. One time as abusers. The exact same word. Now, what's really interesting about this is that this word, and I've looked this up myself independently, this word does not exist in any other Greek literature. 
It's only found in First Timothy manuscripts of First Timothy chapter number one and manuscripts of First Corinthians chapter number six in the Greek. Nowhere else in any other Greek literature anywhere it does not exist. That's it. So can can we go to the Greek and look at other uh, uh, examples of how people will use this in the Greek? Of course you couldn't. We wouldn't do that and, and advocate that in the first place, but that's not even a possibility. Do you understand? When they went to go translate this word, they didn't have other literature that they could go to to see how is this word used here in this secular writing. Because it's not used anywhere else. So the Greek tells you absolutely nothing about what this word means. Nothing. It doesn't tell you anything about what this word means. What we see here is defilers, and abusers. That's why it's important to, to believe that God preserves His Word, right? That's why you have to believe that. Either way, what you have when the King James Bible translators to sit down, you have a, 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 you know, a, an issue here of misunderstanding what this Word could possibly be if you don't you know, believe that God preserved His Word throughout history and that He was involved in the translation of the King James Bible. You'd have a major problem there, James White, that you, know, you wouldn't be able to get around that. It's not possible. But right here we see that the word abusers is also used as what? Defiler. Defile, I'm sorry. What is it? Just defile? Yes. Defile themselves with mankind. Defile themselves with mankind and abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, I'm going to give you a few points on what I believe that this is. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I believe that it is and then I'm going to show you why I believe this. All of the other examples that people will use, none of them use scripture for it. They just say, I know that it's not homosexuality, but this is why, you know, these are some, home, these are some possibilities of what it could be. And I'm going to show you, using scripture, and that's what we should always do, of why I believe that this is what I believe that it is. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. We're going to read it, and we're going to go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 1 in just a moment. The phrase, abusers of themselves with mankind, I believe is a general phrase. It is meant to be very generic for fornication. And I believe that it is purposely meant to be generic. And I'm going to show you that the Bible does this. It uses, in a list of things, it will say a generic word, and then it will use a more specific word. The Bible does this very, very often. It will refer to something that is general, a sin that is general, then it will pick out and repeat a specific sin of that kind of general type of sin. Abusers of themselves with mankind is a very obscure type of, of, of phrase, isn't it? The whole phrase, if you look at it, is very general. Abusers or defile, that is a very, very general, non-specific word. And the other word that's there is mankind. That is a super general or non-specific word. So the list says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, he says, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, and then it says, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. The first attack that someone would come at this is this. They would say, well, why would he repeat himself? Why would he be repeating the exact same thing? Or why would he be repeating you know, uh, the same thing in you know, the list just right below it? And number one... You know, I'm going to prove to you that this takes place in the Bible. I want to show that to you first. That I want you to go, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 1 first. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. I want to show you that this is actually a pattern. Not only is it a pattern in the Bible, but it's a pattern of Paul. He will repeat things. He'll use a general word, and then he'll use a specific word. Or he'll use a specific word and a general word. There's no, really no rhyme or reason on how he'll do this. <clears throat> it says this in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, that exact list. It says this, 
Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Now watch this. But for the lawless and what? Disobedient. Do you know what a disobedient person is? It's a lawless person. Keep reading. Watch how this works. For the ungodly and for what? Sinners. You know what a sinner is? Ungodly. They're used interchangeable in Romans 3. It says this. For unholy and profane. You notice that what he's doing is he's repeating the same thing twice. Go, keeps going. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. Now watch this. For manslayers. Now I want you to notice that murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers is a very specific phrase, isn't it? It's specific. Do you know what's not specific? Manslayers. It's a general way. So he says it specifically. Then he says it afterwards generically or generally. That uh, actually continues on here. It says in verse 10, look at it. For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. So notice that if we use that just in this context of 1 Timothy chapter number 1, and we can see that it's being repeated afterwards, all the other sins before this are normal, natural sins. So I'm not even going to go down that road anymore. I'm done arguing that point. But it says whoremongers, right? And then it says what? Abusers of themselves with mankind. So we can see that whoremongers, this is a sensual type of, of, of uh, sin that people are committing. Whoremongers, I believe, would be the more specific. It's a man specifically that's doing this. Then you have abusers of themselves with mankind. That can be either a man or a woman that is living in fornication or living a lascivious lifestyle. I'm going to get more into what I believe that it means by that. Um, I want you to go to now Galatians 5. I want to show you this pattern of repetition, specific and then general. And then how, I want you to notice how often this happens. This is not, this would not be, I can't just point you to one place. There's multiple lists and this takes place in Paul's writing constantly. Look at Galatians 5. It says this in Galatians 5 verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication. So those are two specific types of sin, right? Now watch this. Uncleanness, lasciviousness. That is a, that is a sensual type of sin. And adultery is uncleanness. A sensual sin. Lasciviousness is, uh, is also adultery, fornication. Keep reading. Look at verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Strife is variance. Those two things are, are the exact same thing. They're almost identical to one another. One's just more, a little bit more general than the other. Variance is just, you know, you know people not getting along. Pretty much the same thing of strife. It says seditions, heresies. Now watch this. Envyings. If you look up the definition of the word emulations, do you know what one of the, actually the first synonym is? Envyings. That's what the first sentence, it's a rival, in the third definition of it is a rivalry, uh, uh, rivalry of envy. That's what emulation means. It's a form of envy. So notice over and over again, we have overlap of words in these lists. Murders, drunkenness, revelings. So that's the biggest argument that I've heard against this. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. People will say, well... Why would he repeat the same thing in the list? Well, why does he do it in every single list that he makes over and over and over again? Not only that, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Look at verse number... Um, yeah, well, look at verse number... Is it in verse number 9? No, it's in verse number 10. Both of them are. 1 Corinthians 6, 10. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. Now, what is extortion? What do you do? You take money from people and you extort it. Do you know what you're doing? You're stealing from them. Do you know what else is in this list? Thieves. In this very list, you have 
a thief, which is just a person that takes something from someone. And then you have an extortioner, which is someone that steals money from someone. But they do it in a very specific way. So in this very list, there are other things that are being repeated. It's a stupid argument and it comes from the perspective of someone that's obviously not familiar with this method of writing, with the style of writing of the New Testament. It's super common. Every list that Paul writes, he, can, he just over and over again repeats things. Specific, general. Specific, general. One of the other things, and I do have to address this, is people will say, well, it says mankind. You know, so mankind is like... Uh, you know, the only other place we find that is Leviticus 18 and Levit Leviticus 20:13. You know, um, I haven't quoted it enough. I guess I've you know, been out of the new IFB so much, so I can't even remember how it goes. Does anybody have it memorized? Maybe Brother Bob's, Brother Hall? Anybody? Leviticus 20:13. No, I can't. I can't come up with it. Gosh, you guys are a bunch of lazy fundamentalists. That's terrible, dude. Lie with mankind as he lies with woman. So they have committed an abomination. Surely be put to death. You notice I was doing like what people don't know the lyrics to a song. I'm acting like finishing it at the very end. You know, uh, but you know, what it says there is mankind. So they're like, see? I mean, it's homosexual. The word mankind comes up six times in the Bible. Only two times is it referring specifically to man. Leviticus 20, 13 and Leviticus 18. The other four times... It's speaking about humanity, the same way that we use it today. So I want you to look at, I have the two examples here. It's the book of Job and also James. Go to J Job 12.10. The book of Job, Job chapter number 12, verse number 10. This is us actually digging to see what this means. That's what we're doing right now. We're defining these words. We're seeing what it actually means. Job chapter number 12, verse number 10 says this. In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. That's speaking about humanity. All mankind, men and women. Go to James 3, 7. James chapter number 3, verse number 7. <clears throat> James chapter number 3, verse number 7. James chapter number 3 verse number 7 says this, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed, and then it says, and hath been tamed of mankind. That is clearly and, and categorically referring to humanity. Saying that mankind, right? You know, uh, it's, it's just referring to humanity. That's what it's referring to. Man and woman. The race of mankind. So the word mankind only two times. So don't let them try to tell you, you know, that's referring to you know, homosexuality. Look it up. Yeah, only two out of the six occurrences can you prove that it's referring to homosexuality. It's used in the sense of humanity or the human race the other times that it, that it occurs and comes up. So that's a bad argument. That falls apart. The word mankind, no, I want you to notice, is a general word though, isn't it? Just like the word defile is a very general word. Just like the word abuser is a very general word. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 again. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Those are very general words. Fornication is a very specific word. What I believe that it means when it says abusers of themselves with mankind, I believe that he wrote that in such a way that it could speak to either a whore or a whoremonger. That it could speak to either a man or a woman, and it doesn't necessarily refer to fornication or adultery, or maybe any other acts outside of, you know, uh, uh, copulation act, right? 
that it's just a very general word for lasciviousness and he could apply it to a man and a woman, both. He could say, you're an abuser of yourself with mankind. And that would be speaking to a man, abusing himself with women, which would fall under the category of mankind. Or you could say to a man that you are, what did I use first, women or man? I used a man first. So here, this would be a woman then. You could say to a woman, you are, abuser, you are an abuser of yourself with mankind. But that for her would be referring to a man, not a woman. So it is a general word so that he could just target both of them all in one. That's why it's coupled with whoremonger because it is sensual when we see it used in 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Fornication, right? When you think of a whoremonger, what do you think of? Fornication. Now, why would he repeat that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6? That particular thing. An abuser of themselves with mankind. If it is just a word like fornication. And I'll tell you why. Because that's the context. And he wants to emphasize the point of fornication. That's, what's, you know, that's what he's writing about at this point. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Notice he addresses both of them right there, but he's talking about what? Fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 is discussing fornication. Look at verse 18, the first two words. Flee fornication. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. So why would he repeat that specifically? Because that's the topic at hand while he's writing 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. That's what he's speaking about. It would make sense that he would bring that up another time. You know, uh, there's obviously the personality of the man that is, that is also there while the Holy Spirit is writing. It's what's on his mind in that sense. And it's what, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to emphasize or focus on at this moment. It's fornication or it's a type of lasciviousness or uncleanness. It's just a very general word. That's why I believe that it is repeated there. Now, I'm going to get into, we're going to dig deeper into the context here for a moment. And I'm going to get into why I believe that this is the only uh, um, you know, the only interpretation, the only interpretation of this phrase that can actually stand up to scrutiny when you say, give me some scripture for that. Show me why you come to that conclusion. The other passage, the other uh, positions don't have scripture. They, you know, if you look at the homosexual group, obviously they fall apart with the reprobate doctrine. They fall apart when they say, oh, it's mankind. You can prove that. That's only two out of six of the mentions. So, you know, they, all of those other uh, uh, and then the other two of, oh, it's just you know, a person that maybe just committed the act or it's a person that's forced into it. There's no scripture for that. We need to have some scripture to back this up. I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Let's look at verse number... Let's first look at... Uh, let's begin in verse number 15. It says this. <clears throat> Actually, let's begin further than that. Let's just start right afterwards. Let's look at verse 12. Let's look at verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not, will not be brought under the power of any. Explain that to me, Ray Comfort. Goodness sakes. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Notice the context hasn't changed. Watch what he says next. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Verse 16. What? 
Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Verse 18, watch this. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is with every sin that a man doeth is without the body. Now watch this phrase. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I want you to notice that phrase and what is being taught with that statement. Notice that he says every other sin. Every other sin. That's important to understand. Every other sin that a man commits, you know, he doesn't, he, every, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. That's what the phrase is. Without the body. Every other sin that a man commits is without the body. So we're talking about fornication, normal fornication. Obviously, it's all sin, you know, but it's not this, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, homosexuality is my point. Still wicked, but it's, in that sense, you know, a natural temptation. Then it says this, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What is he doing? He's sinning against his own body. What is he doing? He's hurting himself. He's, de he's defiling himself, if you may. You know what he's doing? He's abusing himself. This is the context, my friend. This is where, this is, this is where we find the context. And, and, and you've got to think of how important context is. I want you to think about this. You can't find a phrase that describes something so similar anywhere else in the Bible. And you think it's a coincidence that it's seven verses away from the verse that we just read that has such an obscure uh, phrase? Abusers of themselves with mankind. And not only that, it fits the pattern of repeating things, specific and general. And then it tells you right after that, you know what fornication is? It's sinning against your own body. You know what he's saying? You're hurting yourself. You're harming yourself. You know what you're doing? You're defiling yourself. You're defiling your own body. You're abusing your own body. I, can, I, fur, I further have proof of this. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper even. So here we have flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now watch verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? So in the context of him saying that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? And your body being a temple, what is he warning you against doing? Sinning against your own body. And what is it? It's the temple, right? But how would you be sinning against your own body? Fornication, right? You would be doing so by fornication. You would be, you would be uh, sinning against the temple, right? Well, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. <clears throat> Look at verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? That sound familiar? What was the context the other time we saw that mentioned? Sinning against your own body. Sinning against the temple. Now look at verse 17. If any man, watch this, defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, when it actually mentions sinning against your own body, it talks about that you would be sinning against your own body by fornication and that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That exact phrase is also used in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and he warns against you sinning against your own body. And do you know what word he uses? Defile. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, what phrase does it use in 1 Corinthians 6, 9? Abusers of themselves with mankind. But do you know what that phrase can, can also mean? We can see this by 1 Timothy 1. 
defile themselves with mankind. Do you know what a person's doing when they're committing fornication? They're sinning against their own body. Do you know what else they're doing? They're abusing themselves. They're defiling themselves. They're defiling, if you will, if you're speaking in context specifically, in this case, of a Christian, they're defiling their, their temple, they're defiling their body. That's what they're doing. This is the only interpretation that, stand, that actually has scriptural backing. I didn't just try to come up with an interpretation. You know what I did? When I discovered this like three or four years ago, I looked up the word defile. I looked up the word abuse. I looked up the word mankind, and I read 1 Corinthians 6 in context. And you know what started happening? And I believe this is the Holy Spirit. I started noticing, oh, 1 Corinthians, I remembered 1 Corinthians 3 mentions this exact same phrase that's at the end of 1 Corinthians 6. And I looked it up, and you know what I found? The word defile, right there. And what is that phrase used as in 1 Corinthians 6? About fornication. Uh, you know, harming or, or sinning against your own body is defiling your own body. You know what you're doing? You're abusing. You're abusing yourself with what? With mankind. In what? Fornication. This is a general statement that refers to fornication. Now, our, our starting point, we obviously understand that there's no example of a homosexual that's saved. That is such a wacky... That, that is, you are reaching for straws so badly to try to make this mean homosexual in any case. Because you don't ever even have a situation where somebody's like, yeah, I know you committed homosexuality that one time. I'm, I, I believe, of course, that takes place, but I'm saying it's never mentioned in Scripture. You never have that actually even talked about in the Bible. And you just expect that this one incident, this isolated incident, when that's totally out of character of what the Bible will speak about and people being saved, the sins that people will commit of saved people, it never happens. It never happens. We look up the word abuse, we can see that it also can be used interchangeable with defile. We see the context, and what's the context about? Fornication. The whole context. What is Paul's writing style when he writes a list of sins? You know what he does? He repeats things. He uses a specific word, a general word, a specific word, a general word. You know what it's coupled with in one place? Whoremongers. You know what it, it's with? You know, uh, and then you know what it says there? Abusers of themselves with mankind. What does it say in 1 Timothy 1? Defile. We can clearly see that the word defile is attached with what in 1 Corinthians 6? If we compare 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. Defile is attached with fornication. Makes perfect sense. It's not as difficult, I believe, to understand. The reason why there was a, 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 a you know, a lot of back and forth about this particular subject and about interpreting this is just because there's a lot of people that want homos to be able to be saved. They got a faggot friend that they want to believe that this guy got saved. So they're like, well, you know what abuse themselves of mankind is? I found a passage where, you know, sodomites can be saved. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It breaks down the consistency of the Bible. And you know what happens? I can prove to you from context I can prove to you from comparing Scripture with Scripture. I can prove to you that, those, those, that, that uh, this type of thing occurs. This is, this is by far the best interpretation. You know why? Because it has scriptural backing in a few, in a, from a few perspectives. So let me give them real quick because I've been, you know, this, this sermon, I, my notes were scattered very much so and it was kind of rattled. But let me, let me, it was sporadic. Let me give you a couple of the points just to go over them again. So, we defeated the argument that says, ah, oh, you saying that he repeated fornication again? Yeah, like Paul does, even in that list, like he does in 1 Timothy 1, like he does in Galatians 5, multiple times. So, you're an idiot. You obviously, you know, aren't familiar with this pattern in the Bible, right? Number two, 
We can prove that. We see that the word abuse means defile, right? It also means defile. Do you know when you find the word defile used and in, in regards to what sin? Fornication. And that's in a different context, which is 1 Corinthians 3, right? We look at the context of that passage, and what is the whole context of the passage? Fornication. The whole context of the passage is fornication. The closest phrase that you have to abusers of themselves with mankind in the Bible is found in that context. And do you know what it says? They're sinning against their own body. The, a parallel phrase with that exact passage, which is what I just mentioned in 1 Corinthians 3, uses the word defile. Uses the word defile. That's not a coincidence. There, and like I said, I'll end on this point, the other positions have no scriptural backing. And you know, the other thing that we rebut is that they say, oh, mankind refers to Leviticus 20 and Leviticus 18. That's only two of the six mentions. That's not even the majority. That's only two of the six mentions. And it's clearly used speaking about all of mankind. This is what abusers of themselves with mankind mean. means. It is a very general statement. To refer to all manner of lasciviousness and uncleanness of fornication. You could even say adultery. It's just referring to disgusting, sensual acts in a very general way. And it's not like a whore or a whoremonger. It's a general way where Paul was able to peg every person that ever did anything lascivious in their life. Any kind of wicked, unclean, you know, sensual type of sin. That's why that phrase was used. It was a general statement to make sure that he covered every person on their sensual sins. The point was to get, to get everybody in there, I believe. I believe that was his point. When he's going through this list, he wants to get everybody in there. And this is something that every person would fall under at one point in their life. That's why he did that. That's why he used that. It's a general statement. The more specific statement is fornication. That's the context, and I'm not going to go back through the points again. That's what I believe about it. I believe it's the only position with Scripture. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, dear Lord, for your word. We thank you, dear God, for uh, just the, the ability that it's a book like no other book to be able to compare Scripture with Scripture to come to answers like this. You can always just find that little nugget in there that helps you understand something properly. It's a book that's written to be understood. We thank you for, for all of the warnings, dear God, uh, in the Bible about fornication and how wicked it is and how it's, it's a sin unlike any sin. We need to soak that in from the sermon as well. That it, it, you're sinning, It's the only sin where you're sinning against your own body. You're hurting yourself. You, you know, the possibility of getting diseases. There's just so many bad things that come with that. You're abusing yourself is what you're doing when you live a lascivious lifestyle. You're defiling yourself. It's disgusting and it's a wicked sin. And we ask you that you would, um, you would also, dear Lord, uh, be with uh, all of those that are sick and not feeling well tonight. And that you would uh, be with our church, dear God. Help us to continue to grow and uh, help us to, uh, to reach the city and to get many souls saved. We love you so much. Uh, open up our understanding and uh, help us to love your word more and more each day. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen.